Welcome, everybody, to the Minnesota Sports Collaboration Podcast Show, where we highlight all of our Minnesota content creators, shows, and friends here on the program. Poppy, how's it going? It's going great, man. Excited to come together with all of our friends. You've heard them on our show, or if you're listening on their show, maybe you've heard us jump in with them. But uh, every week, we're going to have little teasers and snippets from everybody's shows in one spot on all of our feeds so you can get a little taste. And hey, if you haven't listened to one, go check them out. Throw everyone a quick little subscribe and let's make everyone happy. Now, Isha, what's the first one we have here for this week? We're going to throw to Locked on Wild. Our boy Seth Topol drops daily Minnesota Wild content with a wide range of guests. Here's a quick clip of some of his recent content. The Locked on Madness Bracket Selection Show. Yours truly, Seth Topol, the host of Locked on Wilds. Helm at the helm of the Locked on Madness Selection Committee. And uh, one of the esteemed panelists is here with me tonight. There will be more joining as we go. Uh, State of Hoppy of the Soda Pod is here with me, and uh, we teased it a little bit. Wanted to try to leave as much suspense as possible, but uh, we're going bracket challenge here for Lockdown Wild for the month of March. Had a who's who of panelists. Um, no, seriously, who are these people? Um, <laughs> do the rankings. And so uh, excited to have you here, Hoppy, to discuss it. And uh, can't wait to see uh, what people's reaction is to the bracket that we put together. Yeah, reaction, right? That I'm probably going to cause a lot of that personally. And uh, to anyone that's wondering once we get there, like, I'm not a troll. I just have very unique taste. <laughs> well, and I, in full transparency, we had a specific voting criteria we had we had a formula to the madness and as you'll see with the bracket being unveiled there was madness that went into it so what we're doing is we're going to go through a full bracket and try to determine the greatest minnesota wild player that exists now there are going to there are going to be some interesting things that uh, that happen with this based on how the seedings played out. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure if the number one seeds, I'm not sure if a number one seed will win unless uh, particular players get um, a large portion of the voting, which will be on Twitter. We'll be unveiling this uh, tomorrow with our play in matchups. And so um, Let's dive in. Let's get to it. I am just now realizing that I did not really have a good way to um, to share the bracket. And here is uh, one another one of our esteemed panelists. Zach Zeman is joining us. Gentlemen, are you ready? muted? No, now I'm good. What's up, guys? Let's, be a fun night. Fun night ahead of us. Yeah, let's get to some of the voting. And uh, we'll start with our playing rounds. I will put this on Twitter once we are finished here so that everybody can look at the bracket in its entirety and uh, look at the seedings, look at who's in which bracket. Uh, but let's just start with the play in games and we'll get, uh, we'll get some reaction to those. We start uh, with the 16 versus 16 matchup in the forwards group. And that uh, features Derek Bugard, Going up against Richard Park. So that's one of the play-in matchups. 
Now, we had two forward playing matchups and two defenseman playing matchups because those were the two categories that had the most players accumulated. Goalies, we barely had enough <laughs> to get in, so everybody gets in there by default. And centers, we uh, did, we did got, everybody get in? Uh, for goalies, there were three players that didn't, I think. Oh, but Okay, well, one of the ones I added probably got clipped then. Uh, well... I I would wait and I would wait and see. We'll find out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, so that's the first playing matchup for the forwards: Derek Bugard and Richard Park, and uh, that grouping gets a chance to go against the number one overall seed in the forwards bracket, Mister Rem Pitlick. I I don't I don't know, and there have been some there have been some. Uh, some claims put in by members of the uh, the selection committee as to ballot stuffing. So I'm going to have to address those as we go. But uh, Bugard versus Park is the first play in matchup. And uh, I think I think Hoppy went to go get um, he must have gone to go get a jersey. Oh, I mean, cookies. Lucky. Um, I've got mac and cheese. Okay. Is he well anyway? How does so Ron we'll, Pillick get the first seed? How does that work? Oh God. We, there we go. That's that's what it was. Uh yes, number one overall seed in the forward category, uh Rem Pitlick, Remington, as uh, as he is referred to. So Bugard or Park get the opportunity to go up against Rem Pitlick. Uh the other play in matchup is Danny Heatley against Ryan Carter. Those are the uh the fifteen Damn. seeds. And uh, oh, they, they get the opportunity to go up against the two seed in the forward bracket, Mr. Kirill Kaprizov. So that's uh, that's playing matchups on the uh, forward side. On the defensive side, uh, we have the 16 seeds, Merrick Zidlicki. And if we were doing a if we were doing a name bracket, which I thought of like as I was putting this together, and I'm like that would have been a way better idea. But uh-huh. maybe next year, um, he goes up against. Lubomir Sekaris. I definitely <laughs> did not pronounce that correct. Sekarash. A lot of these names I'm seeing for the first time. So that's uh, <laughs> that's also fun. So uh, those two get the opportunity to go up against the number one overall seed on the uh, defense region, which is Jonas Brodeen. And then the 15 seeds, Kim Johnson and Carson Soucy square off. In the play-in rounds, they go up against the number two overall seed in the defense region, that being Mr. Jared Spurgeon. Again, if you like what you heard, you can follow all of Seth's great content by searching Locked On Wild wherever you get your podcasts or checking them out on social at Locked On Wild. Uh, next, we have <laughs> yours truly, the soda pod uh we'll tease our other contributors later but hoppy and i talk everything minnesota wild beer and hockey here's a teaser from our most recent episode good to be back good to be back with the boys appreciate it appreciate you still never look at fruit the same way again but (laughs) well i'm glad that we had that lasting impression on you that's that's important hey peter liked the post by the way just (laughs) saying yeah Yeah. Yeah. spreading awareness spreading awareness awareness. one fruit at a time but we are not here for fruit. We are here to discuss the infamous big beer week. Uh, Justin, I'll toss it over to you first, but obviously everyone chime in. Uh, wh- what is big beer week? So big beer week is the one week year that we dedicate to 
featuring all of our big barrel-aged beers. Anything that's high ABV makes the cut, um, but we really have a focus on things that are barrel-aged, uh, different varieties of barrel aging, different varieties of barrels specifically to kind of explore what the different types of spirit barrels can bring to the same beer. Um, and so it gives us the opportunity to age and play with a variety of different flavors. And then also we've been introducing all sorts of different stuff. Anything that's over 10% ABV, right? That's our requirement, 10% ABV-ish. It's our guideline. A roughly 10%. Right. Like it's the way we advertise it. Kind of designers. Like blissful ignorance usually hangs on at 9%. Right. Um, the last couple of years we've had Belgian triple on, and that's at 9% as well. Things that slumber uh, in barrels. That have some nice like oaky notes Not or necessarily mm -hmm. barrel, but, but like yeah. also like higher abv beers we don't actually well. know what it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know things like like big triple ipas that's something that we've been loving to feature every year is like trying to brew a big super hoppy triple ipa every year for big beer week something that's released during big beer week um to kind of partake in all the fun that is had with all the other barrel aged varieties and stuff like that and this year oh. we actually even um are adding a scribbled lines beer to the to the mix. Mm -hmm. We have our mm -hmm. first mix yep. mixed culture barrel aged beer over ten percent. Right, that was one of the things that Aaron and I had kind of talked about in previous years. And Aaron's over here. This is our uh, head innovation brewer, and him and I work together on a lot of the uh, mixed culture barrel aging stuff here, as well as the clean barrel aging too. But uh, we we're happy to be able to introduce our first um, mixed culture beer into. Uh, the Big Beer Week lineup this year, which was uh, it's cool to join the ranks of our production brewery on the other side of these walls here out for that fun week. Yep. Well, that's amazing. Celebration of us going seven days a week. Because like before Eight. Big Beer Week, we were four days a week, and this was kind of our, our kickoff to going to seven days a week. I forgot about that. Yeah, because yeah, it's a Sunday to Sunday, right? Sunday yeah. to Sunday, it yep. Started as a seven-day, but it was just now... Way too many beers. Like, as you can tell, plenty of beers for seven days. So oh, 39 releases, so it'll eventually take over the entire yeah. tap. Usually, yeah, by the end of the week, there you'd be hard-pressed to find something under 9% alcohol. Yeah, because how many taps do we have here? 36. So we have 36 taps, and often by the end of the week, most of them are occupied by some of these huge offerings that we have because it's hard to blow through certain things in the course of a couple of days. Um, some stuff does, but some stuff hangs around. So by the end of the week, uh, the, the variety is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's Marcus's favorite thing too. Marcus, yeah. Marcus is one of our uh, biggest fans of our biggest beers. <laughs> yeah. So, so long of the short of it, this is no typical beer event. This is, this is something straight out of Lupulin straight yes. unique. And you know, you it's just the amount that you guys are, have produced and are, are, are rolling out is it's mind boggling. It's amazing. I mean, you just shared the, the entire spread with Hoppy and I literally moments before pressing this record button. And I'm like, my jaw is to the ground right now. Like, all of these A's look unbelievable. And I mean, it's, it's Lupulin. It's, it is only unbelievable, but like take, I mean, we're going to go through a few of the, a few of them, but just again, for, for, for anybody who's new to Lupulin, anybody who's new to big beer week, like you talked about the spread and how you're going to be doing it on site, but just what, what was more of the inspiration behind this and why so many beers? 
the main reason, like, when I came on, like, five, six years ago, they wanted six, to, six years ago, yeah, yep, yep, this will be six years, yeah. Um, they wanted to do a whole kickoff on being open seven days a week. We had a lot of, like, fantastic barrel-aged beers in the back. We wanted to showcase that. They had just installed a bunch of new taps. So we kind of wanted to make a little shindig out of it. And it went off so well. It was just like we wanted to keep going with that energy. And every year it gets it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. It, gets, it gets a lot bigger. It kind of feels like a week-long Oktoberfest, too. You know, it's like those, like, one-day festivals, <laughs> but it lasts for eight days straight. With yeah. beers that are triple the alcohol. Yeah, with, yeah. with, with <laughs> those boozier offerings, you know. It's like so have you ever had someone that, like, comes in off the street, has no idea about this event, and then just like walks out, just hammered off their ass, or walking, what the hell's going on in here? You might you might you'll still know about the event and still probably walk out hammered at some yeah. point. Yeah. It's it's different if you go in with that expectation though. Yeah. True. Yeah. We've even changed the format a little bit to help people with that. It used to be a free for all all day long. Come in, drink whatever you want for like the entire day. We've shortened it up to smaller blocks just to kind of keep people a little a little more level because, you know, three, four, ten percenters add up real quick. Yeah, sometimes people need a little bit of you need to you need to help guide them a little bit to ensure that they're not uh, becoming a danger to themselves on a week like this with like this level of ABV circling circulating through the taps. That's why I always say like the five ounce pours are your friend because yeah. you can try so many more and not have to drink an entire glass. Like, don't be shy of like the five ounce pours. Oh, so my like 10, 11 ounce <laughs> that I got going right nice. now is probably aggressive. <laughs> You know, and, uh, but you're at home. So like. <laughs> and one of the questions too that you asked uh, about why so many different beers. So what's actually cool about Big Beer Week is that being able to have this level of variety of beers and having this kind of um, event that and just attendance, like just straight up attendance and the amount of beer that we're able to sell through it, we get to do these different kinds of beers that are unique in the way that we might not be adding like different types of adjuncts like a bunch of different like fruits or like chocolates or nuts and vanilla and different things like that we're able to do fun stuff that excites us as brewers and all of us here as just like beer enthusiasts that stuff like putting the same beer in just two different spirit barrels like we've done things like uh just from like woodford and four roses took a beer same beer asian and woodford barrels asian and uh four roses barrels and just being able to explore those unique differences that are imparted by the barrel itself is something that we might not be able to do if we have if we didn't have this entire week dedicated to just doing like a tap takeover of this type of stuff, you know, because it is like a little bit more of like a niche thing. But this niche thing has turned into like a pretty uh, big thing for us that allows us to have all these types of different things and this different like level of exploration that we can do with flavors and barrel aging and unique stuff like that but if if you're like me and you do like candy bars and beer (laughs) we also have an infusion every single day of the week so i don't know what you guys talked about last time i was on the last podcast this weekly infusion thing called bradham's where we put silly shit in beers like atomic fireballs and little snacks during big beer we could do that every single day 
Uh, you'll look at the, the list we sent you at the very bottom of each day. We have a big, crazy infusion, and they're all in the big beers. Nice. Uh, I don't know if it's in front of me, but yeah. yeah. That's my favorite part of Big Beer Week. That's we, true. My wife we loved oh, the, the Crunchberry was my wife's favorite. Oh, nice. Yeah, good, yeah. good. Sharing your sins. Yeah, I was going to say that, like, on, even on, like, full batch scale, we have done some and continue to do some fruiting or adjuncting of stouts and big beers. We just, mm-hmm. as brewers, like, find it especially exciting to kind of explore the nuances of different barrels, um, maybe more so than adding candy to the beer, but... Uh, that's not to say that we that we don't do that either. Right. We we'll enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We love we just love being able to have the opportunity to do it all and to be able to cater to all those different flavors and stuff like that that everyone might be looking for, right? You know, like there's a everyone kind of has a different taste, and being able to hopefully appeal to everyone during an event like this is it's what we love to do. I mean, not only that, but like I think it's it teaches people to have a, a different appreciation for barrel aged beers because. You know, yeah, I used to love the ones with the adjuncts in it, but now, like, I'm always impressed with these guys and what they can do with, like, playing with a couple of different barrels and blending them, and they create this super unique flavor that you would swear there has to be something else in it. And they're like, that's from the barrels. It's like an artistry to mm-hmm. be able to blend these barrels and sample these and know what needs to sit for how long. And, like, it's really cool to watch them work and then see what comes from it and taste it and just be blown away, so... You know, that is a lot of the fun. And it's not even just like the barrel age, because as we yeah. talk, we've got triple IPAs. We've True. got a sour yeah. coming out this time. So it's mm-hmm. like, if there's a box that needs to be checked, oh, yeah. there's it's a good checked. chance that we're working our way through it. So mm-hmm. it's a short and cocky answer to that question, then it's because we can. <laughs> and why not? Yeah. So that like brings that us, I bet it, it reminds me, it's what we're here for. <laughs> Let's explore some nuances. <laughs> so what we've got here, um, and... So we're located here in Big Lake, Minnesota, and unfortunately, we have tried to get beer into Canada to our good friend Isha here and have been <laughs> turned down somewhere along the line through some some part of the postal system didn't to get it there. But we're able to get it to our good buddy Scott here, who is uh, not far away from our brewery. So what we've got here is this year's iteration of Whiskey Nuts. Uh, one of the iterations of this year's Whiskey Nuts. And it was aged in barrels from a distillery that's also local to Minnesota here. And these were aged in barrels that were significantly smaller than your standard barrel. They're a very small batch whiskey. Um, that Aaron's not true. Not true. No. It's not true. No. Aaron, feel free to some take of, over some, too. In the past, some of the Tattersall barrels that we've go. used have been 30 gallon ones. These two that we that made up this blend, <laughs> uh, these two in this blend were full 53 gallons. Oh, oh, that's why we have my fact checker here. He keeps me in mind. <laughs> but take back over. <laughs> so um, we have, and that's yeah, we have used some of those smaller barrels from Tattersall, but I uh, frankly I lose track. Sometimes. We hate them because the bungholes are too big. Yeah. So, but what we've got that this was a blend of two of those barrels, correct? Yeah, two fifty-three gallon. Yeah, so two fifty-three gallon barrels, and one of them was the Tattersall chocolate malt whiskey, 
and the other one was the Tattersall Cherrywood Smoke Malt Whiskey. Ooh. And um, it's blended basically wow. in equal parts. Um, each barrel, you know, after barrel aging has about the same volume. It's close, you know, there's a slightly varying levels of evaporation, but they existed, I think, actually on the same rack. So they're really close to one another. Um, but so, yeah, that is and what this is, is this is exactly what I was talking about. This is us playing around with barrels that had a unique spirit in them prior to the beer going in them and us being able to pull that kind of character and component out of that barrel and that previous spirit and let it express itself in our beer and kind of just see what happens. And I mean, we've never used either of these types of barrels before. Um, so this is our first time using them and we were just stoked with the product that came out and really how this comes about is Aaron and I generally go back there and we pull some samples from some barrels and try them and dump some glasses together and have the rest of the gang around here try them and see what we think. And like, hey, shit, this is pretty good. Yeah. So. One of the best days at work when those guys decide to like start pulling nails out of barrels and sampling things. They're the best days, but they're the worst days. <laughs> There's nothing that They're derailing days. days for sure. There you go. If you didn't hate what you just listened to, you can find all of our content at The Soda Pod on social, that being Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, or by searching The Soda Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Who's up next? Minnesota Sports Chat. Those new to Ross or Minnesota Sports Chat, you get anything from a unique spin on Minnesota sports to the wrecks of a frozen pizza connoisseur. Starter jacket trivia for you. Any idea when the starter jacket was founded? I'm going to guess that the starter jacket was probably founded the same time, around the same time as Zuba. So let's go with late 80s for starter. You're going late 80s for starter. Ah! Denied. Dome or try it. Go a bit earlier. Uh, Well, actually go probably a fair amount earlier. Okay, well, how about the wonderful year 1971? Oh, Nice job. Oh, really? Yeah, 1971. (laughs) Okay, any idea? We keep talking about football for the most part. When you think of starter jackets, I think of football outside of that Charlotte Hornets jacket. Football was actually, the NFL was the last of the four major sports to actually officially license starter. Wow, late to the party. Late to the party was the NFL. Any idea who the first was? Do you want to take a guess? I guess you got... Three left between MLB, NBA, and NHL. I'd like to go with Major League Baseball, Ross. You're on fire. Major League Baseball was the first to license starter jackets in 1976. The NFL was the last. Any idea? Want to take a guess? On why the NFL was last? What year? Because this actually astounded me. That the NFL licensed starter jackets. How about 1992? So, no, no. They, they licensed them in 1983, and the real starter jacket craze, based off of my cracked research, most of it from something called snagcollective.com, did not really take off until the late 80s and into the 90s. I guess they needed time to design accordingly to get people really interested in that. But then thinking about the fashion of the early 80s versus the late 80s and early 90s, things were still pretty 70s-ified in the early 80s. Like, every, oh, yeah. you know, everyone thinks that the 80s was all about neon and all and bright colors. No, 
the 80s was brown. You know the couch that I'm talking about that was in your friend's basement. It's brown and it's kind of orange and it has pheasants on it. Yeah, and it's it almost has almost like plaid checkers too in spots. Yeah, there's wood paneling in the basement too with a Schlitz sign in the bar. That's a good beer. Yeah. That's a good That's beer. That's the 80s aesthetic. It was too just beige for starter jackets. The run for starter I mean, if you think about how the company went, if you want to go from when they when they launched to when they filed for bankruptcy, again, technically still alive, but let's just say when they filed for bankruptcy, for all intensive purposes, they were gone. Want to guess that year? I want to guess that that was probably 1998. Oh, you are so close. I'll oh. give you I'll give you correct. Thank you. But it was 1999. That but think of that arc, Ross. Where yes. starter jackets really peaked around 94, 95, yep. and then it was just a steep decline into obsolescence. They, they, you know what they did? They hit the Nike iceberg. Oh. They, they were floating, 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 making a Titanic reference, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you. Hit that damn iceberg. Thank you for context. So here's what snagcollective.com says. Again, what I I'm, I really hope that that's also not like a dirty slang term that I'm saying. Well, we'll find out we'll, when somebody writes to you. We'll find out when I label this podcast clean and we find out it's not. Uh, what did Starter in? Growing competition with Nike, Adidas, Reebok, and others reduced Starter's market share. Ultimately, sending them into that bankruptcy in 1999, Nike bought the company but was later sold to something called Iconics. Should I know what that is? Iconics is one. Well, I think now I welcome corrections, but it's one of those companies that buys a bunch of brands and then just starts to license distribu- them out and, and distribute, distribute them out. Okay. Yeah. The last sentence cracked me up. It says the downfall continued through their partnership with Walmart in the early 2000s. In early 2010s, you can find this beauty on social at Brendel Ross. That's B-R-E-N-D-E-L Ross. And his podcast by searching Minnesota Sports Chat on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Who's up? Judd's Buds. Mutant, Spitter, Sicko, Z. We don't care what you call them. To us, Spokes Z just means elite prospect coverage. Here's a preview of the brilliant ramblings you can hear on Judd's Buds. If this team wants to play the way they like to play, which is like high octane, um, physical, in your face, uh, you know, high pace, just quick, aggressive hockey, then you're going to need guys that are fresh and it's going to be hard to stay fresh when you're playing every other day for, you know, basically three months. Um, so I would expect a little bit of movement and I'm wondering how long it takes for Mitchell Chafee to get the call because I know they've liked him a lot this season since he's come back from injury slash COVID. Uh, he's just been on a tear. He's doing it again. He's just a power forward. He plays the way that they like to play their skill there. Um, you know, and right now, since he's come back, he's just been super confident, drives the net so hard. Um, he gets in dangerous areas. He creates chances. He does a little bit of everything for you defensively. It's whatever. Um, but I mean, you know, you look at the kid on the puck, uh, the way he plays, there's a lot to like there. He's continued to play well. So I'd expect him to get the call up. Nolan Stevens is playing really well. Um, the past couple of games since he came back from injury, completely different player than when he first came over. I think he's kind of just got that confidence right now. Um, you know, he's stepping in for teammates. He's, he's getting, he's 
getting in the mix, getting in scrums, driving the net, creating scoring chances, um, hard along the wall. He's doing a lot of things really well, um, and I wonder if they like that and if they look at that as an option to call up at some point here. Uh, Mason Shaw, we saw, got the call like literally an hour after I put that tweet out. <laughs> you know, I wonder if he gets games. It looks like today he was rotating in on the fourth line, so maybe that he's just there as a body right now. Who knows? Um, but anyways, I, I, I do think you're going to see a lot of guys uh, getting looks here uh, from Iowa just to see what they have. And then, you know, to give that to give those guys in Minnesota a little bit of uh, some fresh legs and a bunch of guys that are going to be competing for future spots. Right. So it's never a bad thing to have some internal competition. That's like for me, that's important to have, especially with where Minnesota is right now and how deep that pool is. You want guys competing against obviously their team, but also each other. Um, then they're trying to show out that, you know, they can be uh, NHL players and that they deserve a look. So um, I would be looking for that. I'm curious to see how it goes. I'm curious to see who gets the call and when, um, you know, and we'll see what happens as the trade deadline approaches. Um, but it's an interesting time right now. They really need to bounce back in soon. Cause right now they're looking at third place on uh, the central as St. Louis stays doing whatever the hell they're doing. Uh, Colorado might be the best team in the league that they, they're a problem. Um, but obviously you want to get home ice. So they really need to like hit it, <laughs> kind of hit their stride here because it looks like right now they're kind of, um, obviously they're dragging, but you're looking at a first round matchup with either St. Louis or Nashville, probably unless you fall into that wild card spot. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens, but they really gotta, they gotta figure out what they're doing here. Cause, uh, it looks bad now. The other thing people are going nuts about the Jordy Ben versus Kalen Addison thing. Believe me, I'm at the point now where I don't really get it. But at the same time, I don't think, you know, every loss you can just look at Jordy Ben. I think there are plenty of other guys who aren't really pulling their weight right now. And I think you got a lot of tired hockey players. Uh, Jordy Ben had that good quote, you know, drink a Red Bull if you're tired. Uh, leave the fucking guy alone. Listen, he knows who he is. He knows what player he is. And he's not the one telling him to play him over Addison. If you want to get mad at someone, get mad at Dean. Um but yeah, it is puzzling though. I'll tell you, I don't really know why they're so dead set on not playing Addison. Although I do think he's far from a perfect hockey player, but um, yeah, it looks like they're going to keep rolling with Jordy Ben and continuing to piss everybody off, which is kind of funny actually. So um, I'm not that upset about it. Um, let's see anything else I want to touch on with Minnesota. I don't think so. Let's see what, what do they have this week coming up? I know they got the Calgary rematch tomorrow. Um, what else is up with the, gauntlet of a fucking schedule let's see that was a really weird voice i just did i'm sorry uh okay march they play on the first oh my god <laughs> okay one two three four five six seven this is good radio eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen they have 16 games in the month of month of march so that's good and that includes games against calgary uh, the Rangers, Dallas, that's going to be a big one. Nashville, the Bruins, Chicago, Vancouver, Vegas, Colorado, Pittsburgh. That, that's a tough fucking schedule. So I think this might be the next couple of weeks where you see guys starting to get called up. I would expect, you know, guys from Iowa to get a look here. Um, but this week, you know, by the time we talk next time, they'll play Calgary, Philly, Buffalo, and Dallas. So I think those are th- at least three of those four games you're expecting a win or at least – Maybe not expecting a win or whatever, um, but you would like to 
think that you those are winnable right there and i mean realistically calgary is beatable too as good as they are uh you played like shit the other night um so i'd expect to bounce back at home there but man march is gonna be brutal uh so we'll see who gets the call though i'm, I'm interested to see it um but yeah, so that's Minnesota. Let's move on. Let's talk about Iowa real quick. Uh, they had a little bit of a rough week. It ended on a good note. Um, three games since the last time we spoke. Um, you know, five games in seven days. It's a fucking absolute grind. They went one and four in those games. Um, you know, first game, it, they looked okay. Um, at In the third period, anyway. Uh, they kind of just started off really slow. They took a too many men penalty. Then Texas takes a too many men penalty. So it was really a, it's just a bitch of a game. They go down two nothing early. Um, you know, then they're down three, one, they start, or sorry, they were down three, nothing, I believe. And they mount a comeback uh, late Ottenbright and Stevens combined for a beautiful goal to make it three, two. And then they give up the empty netters. And McIntyre looks really good. They left them out to dry. A lot of turnovers. Again, this is part of the reason I've been saying, please bring me Simon Johansson whenever that season's done. Um, or whatever his, con- or his contract's up this season. So whenever you can, I would like to see him in Iowa because I would love to have a puck-moving, uh, you know, good skater on the back end because I, I don't know how much more meat and potato back end I can watch. Um, <laughs> but just like it, it, just night after night, it seems like it's a real chore trying to get the puck from one end to the other uh, through either, you know, D-men carrying it or skating it up or pass. Like it's just, it's it's tough. So you know, you're looking at a bunch of forwards who, again, we have different line combinations every night, so that doesn't help. Uh, but they're having to do a lot of the work. You know, you're seeing Marco Rossi coming back and retrieving way too many pucks. He's doing it effectively. He looks really good doing it, and he's able to, and I don't think he's a problem. Uh, but I would like to be able to see him come up the middle of the ice to grab it from the defenseman and get a nice first pass. I would like to see him do that and not have to go, like, battle on the wall in the corner, in his own corner, to win the puck and then start a possession going that way. Um, I mean, I guess maybe that's good for him in the long run, considering he has to do that a lot of nights and he looks good doing it. Um, he's still a pointer game kid. He's 40 points in 40 games, but, um, I think a lot of their trouble ends up being on the back end and I think they might have hit the, and then on the other end, they might've hit the post more than any other. I think Beckman might have hit the post 15 times this season. You know, he's only got eight goals this year, but I I know for a fact, just like in passing, I've started watching a game and within five minutes, he's hit a post like six different times. Um, you know, they've got him in that middle six role. It sometimes it looks good. Sometimes it doesn't. He's playing a lot of low event minutes, a lot of harder minutes too. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people are like what's up on this points. And I'm like, well, they, they've kind of glued him to one of Cody McLeod or now Brandon Baddock, the other face puncher. So, um, you know, he's working really hard though. I'll tell you, I mean, that kid, he's got a, he's got balls. He plays with a lot of fire. He's passionate. He wants to win. He's animated. Um, he sticks up for teammates when he can. Uh, there's a lot to like about it. Um, but you know, you look at the role he's going to be in when he does get called up to Minnesota. And if you think he's in Minnesota next season with, you know, in the NHL, it's probably going to be in some kind of middle six role just because I guess it really depends on what happens with Fiala. Um, but that's where there's going to be a spot. It's either, (laughs) up there which i don't really see or somewhere in the middle six so he's going to play a little bit of a different game i've said this every week now for a long time but um you know I, overall i'm pleased with how he's been doing anyways we'll move on to yeah that's the other thing they're out shooting teams almost every night and they just have either no puck luck um or they just can't finish there's just not a whole lot of finish 
let's see that. Yeah. in that game again, McIntyre looks great. 22 saves, 25 shots. Um, just so many turnovers right in front of him, like mind blowing. Uh, the next night, Hunter Jones gets the call. The poor kid. I, I'm starting to feel bad for him. He's kind of getting shit on. Uh, they got smacked 4-1. Again, they outshoot Texas 31-23. to They can't score. Hit a couple crossbars. Uh, they went up one nothing early uh, with a goal from Kyle Rao. Victor Rask makes his debut. He assists on the goal. It's good for him. He looks like he's actually having a lot of fun playing down there. Uh, smile on his face a lot. He looks He's into it whenever they score. Uh, he's got three points on the two games he's played in. Uh, I mean, obviously, he just looks great. He's been playing on that first line with Kyle Rao. Um, I think they threw Sweeney up there one one game because um, they've been kind of keeping Rossi and Chafee together, which I really like. Um, but, yeah, Victor Rask looked really good, I'll be honest with you. He's just kind of buzzing around. He's kind of just, like, better than everybody, which he should be, uh, and he is. Um, but, anyways, yeah, Hunter Jones, you know, three of the four goals they gave up, they're bad. And, I mean – he looks distraught whenever he gives up the goal. He's very in, but like not never like, you know, doing the Dobnik, like looking at his teammates, like, yo, you screen me or yo, you tipped it. Um, just down on himself. So, you know, that's something to keep an eye on for me. I don't really have a hard, I mean, I don't blame the kid for, you know, it looks like he just has zero confidence right now. Um, you know, he's a second round pick a couple years ago. So, Right there, that tells you a lot of teams are, at least the Minnesota Wild, really think highly of him. They expect a lot of him. Um, And he's just been thrown around. He's been called up to Minnesota just as, like, the third guy to watch. He goes down to the ECHL. He's getting scratched down there for whatever reason. He comes up to Iowa, back down. I don't think he stayed in one spot for more than a month. So this is a kid I'm sure he's just trying to get his footing and try to get a a sense of the team that he's going to be behind. Um you know, and now that Hammond gets traded, um, you know, to Montreal, and by the way, he wins his first game back. Good for him. That's awesome. That was really cool to see. Um, I would expect that McIntyre Jones is probably the one-two punch now uh, with McIntyre kind of taking over the starting duties. But yeah, I mean, Hunter Jones, every time he gets up the goal, he's just like yelling at himself or his head's down. And, you know, for me, it's like, hey, dude, on to the next one. Like, you're like, if all the people that, you know, all the guys on the team, on the on the Iowa Wild that you kind of are hoping can be like somewhat even keel. You're you're probably hoping your goalie can be somewhat even keel. Obviously, a lot of guys are complete psychopaths, but um, you know, every time he gives up the goal, especially if it's a bad one, he can't just get all over himself like it happens. Um but I I do think he's fighting confidence right now. Like, I mean, a lot of these pucks that are beating him in the AHL, they're they're savable, they're very stoppable, they're just getting by him. Um but I do think a lot of that is he's playing behind a different team every single night and he hasn't really been in one spot for more than a few weeks. So, um, you know, I hope people aren't just like giving up on him or like shitting on him or just saying, Hey, this kid sucks. What, like, what are we doing here? Let's trade him. Um, it's a goalie. He's very young. He's going to, he's on like the four or five year development plan here. And that's fine. It's that's what you kind of expect with goalies. And like, if he's down the ECHL, guess what? That's also fine. A lot of goalies go down and start in the ECHL. Not a big deal. You look at like a fucking Braden Holby, cup winner, ECHL. Uh, Bennington was supposed to go to the ECHL. He just told them to go fuck themselves. I get, they just didn't go. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Hunter Jones just needs one good game, hopefully, to just feel good, uh, get a little bit of confidence back, and just start growing. 
um, you know, get a little more consistency. Because right now, I mean, he's all over himself, and he at this point, he's kind of his own worst enemy. Um, and I know he's a lot better than than he's shown so far in the AHL this season. Um, so last game of the week ends on a high note. They went four three against Rockford. Uh, those games are they turn into wars almost every time. Uh, they did go up three nothing, and then. Uh, gave up two straight before scoring a fourth, and they gave up a third. So they survived that late scare. Rask, goal assist. Uh, Rouse, incredible. I think he's top three now in points all time. Uh, goal, two assists for him. Ottenbright with another assist. So now he's chipping in offensively. He's been a really good player for them this season. I forgot he's actually been here for a little bit, uh, but he looks really good. Um, when Addison was down there, he was a really good partner with Addison. Um, and now he's, he's getting reward on the offensive end too. Um, you know, he's a big kid. He's tough. He stands up for his teammates. He'll drop the gloves. No problem. He plays real hard defensive minutes. He looked good for them. He's probably been their most consistent defenseman, uh, him and Mermis. Um, so it's good. It's nice to see him get rewarded on the score sheet. Uh, Marco Rossi, like I said before, he scores this game, really dirty goal, which you like to see. Um, you know, it's not like a shot from deep. Uh, or a breakaway or anything it's you know in those hard areas where he's driving hard to the net even with that cage even with a broken nose um, he's not afraid to go you know pick up dirty goals so good for him chafee another two assists he looks again he's just looking really good nick swaney got back in the score sheet he gets the assist as well a gorgeous pass to kyle rao um you know that's a kid you're looking at bottom six role at some point in the nhl i think uh he was a great he was great at UMD, and now he's playing really well for Iowa this season. Um, it was a bummer he got hurt when he did because he started on a real tear for them. Um, then it kind of waned off, and he got injured, and now he's back. He looks totally himself again. Um, and again, McIntyre makes another 22 saves, 25 shots, and just looks fantastic. So for the season, your leaders, uh, Marco Rossi, 40 games, 15 goals, 25 assists, 40 points, um, just exactly what you were kind of hoping for this season if anything you know if you were to like pick one thing um you know maybe you were expecting him to be over a point a game after not playing for a year which would be ridiculous but he just looks great he's pretty much just being exactly what you want he's doing exactly what you want him to do and 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 bill garen said as much right it's just um you know give him a full year of professional hockey before you just throw him into the fire that's just my take and that's what's gonna be my take to the end of the year maybe i'm wrong I probably am. I usually am. Uh, anyways, second team, uh, Rao, 36 games, 34 points. Uh, Shaw, who's in Minnesota right now. We'll see if he gets a game. Uh, 33 points in 41 games. He's got career highs in goals and assists. Uh, Beckman, eight goals and 16 assists in 44 games. Again, he's he's even killing penalties now, which I like to see. Um you know, but the one thing that stands out is just that effort to compete level. It doesn't really matter where he is in the lineup. It doesn't doesn't look like he's ever upset about, you know, if he's not the first power player, he's not the top six. He's never, um, you know, it, just watch him play. You don't, and if you weren't looking at the lines and you weren't looking at his line mates, you'd have no idea. Uh, he's just doing his thing. He's just busting his balls, which you love to see. Uh, again, Swainy playing really well, 38 games, 23 points. And Ch- Chafee, I'm telling you, I think the kid's going to get called up. I really want him to. I want to see him get some NHL games. I think he deserves to be rewarded. Uh, 26 games, 11 goals, 11 assists for 22 points. Um, and McIntyre's played 16 games since coming over from Tucson. He's 8-6-1 and one with a 9-18 and a 2-3-8. Um, that's while getting shelled a lot of nights and facing a ton of high danger chances. Um, and now Hunter Jones, eight games. He's 2-5-1 and one with an 8-90 and a 3-3-7. Um, Again, you, you're expecting better, but 
you know, I'm sure once he kind of puts together a few games here, gets a little bit of confidence back, he'll be good to go. Um, so that's Iowa. Um, you know, they're, they had that tough, I mean, f- again, five games in seven days is fucking insane. Um, but we'll see what happens and we'll see what these line combos look like and we'll see who gets called up. Um, all right. So before we go to the roundup, let's pay some bills and talk about DraftKings. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get 150 in free bets. If they win, it's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. You can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void, void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call our the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. Moving on. Whew. That took a lot out of me. I'll be honest. I'll be okay, though. Not a hero. Not looking for credit, but please clap. Dudes fucking rock. If you want more, you can find him every Tuesday. And sometimes uh, we, we don't really know with him. He's kind of a wild card. Maybe even Thursdays on the Soda Pod feed. So same podcast feed as before. But if you want to follow him specifically and for some reason you haven't already, you can check him out on Twitter at SpokedZ. Who do we got? Wild takes on the MN wild leg of 10K takes. Dev and Zooch talk hockey and nonsense, bringing you their wild takes every week. Here's some of their latest work. And this you will can, be my last point before we go into our outro. But yeah. how about uh, Bukestead? Holy moly. He came back and he's looked very good. I mean, we knew that was a roster spot he wasn't going to lose, in my opinion. Uh, you can't keep Bukestead. As a fourth line guy, Bukestead is a yeah. great fourth line player. And yeah, no, I agree. And you can move him up and down the lineup. That's the beauty of Nick Bukestead. A Connor Dewar, can you really move him up to the first line to play with the Kaprizov and them? I don't think he can. But Bukestead, he could go up there and play, a, you know, minutes with Kaprizov. And I mean, we saw that last night. I'm pretty sure he went up there over. He went up with uh, Greenway's line too for a few. Yeah, minutes. yeah. He's, someone you can move up and down. The yeah, I do agree that Bukestad has a versatility that. You know, he's he's a Swiss Army knife player yeah. for for, you know, do we need him at left wing? Cool. Do we need him at third center? Cool. Do we need him at second line right wing? All right, cool. We can work that. If we have Bukestad on our fourth line, I mean, that that is awesome. 
You're right. That first game that he came back, I think he had a goal and an assist. Yep. And it was not a coincidence that that was the best that the fourth line had played all year. Yeah, no, he's in he's months. a big part, I think, to this Wilds playoff success, too. A big body. Um, just, I don't know, having those two, I wouldn't say that, well, obviously, Boldy's got size. But, I mean, I wouldn't say our two scoring lines have very good size at all. I think they're a little undersized <laughs> if, sure. if we want to lean to that. But I don't yeah. think they're. Kaprizov, call him undersized, you know, like, come on, <laughs> let's be honest here. Or even I love seeing Zuccarello's game transform here with the Wild. He's back checking, uh, yeah. staple people to the boards. And it's weird that Lizard King, uh, calling him the Lizard King, it, it's such a great nickname. Him with his stick. Holy shit, dude. He, there's a couple, uh, a couple, oh my God. His stick out and it like stuck to his stick and he did a little one stick handle. It's on his. I'm like, whoa, dude. Yeah. What is that? If I have to hear non-wild broadcast mention the fact that he plays with a super long stick oh my God, again, right. every time, it's so funny. It kills me every time. They're like, oh, well, he's 5'8", but he plays with a stick that's however many inches long, and that makes him have a reach of somebody that's actually a 6'4 player. And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Fun stat. I've heard it literally every single time that the Wild have played that I didn't listen to the LaPanza broadcast. Right. Every time. Like, I don't know. Just do do your homework, guys. <laughs> You're all probably already following 10K Takes at 10K underscore takes if you're not. Uh, but go follow their hockey dedicated feed at Wild Takes 10K. And of course, search Wild Takes wherever you get your podcasts. MNCAA, hosted by Nick Maxson. You get your weekly dose of Minnesota College Puck. Here's a look at what you can expect for all six Division One programs. And last but not least, and it certainly feels like Drew and Alex are switching spots because now Alex is in the uh, the car office <laughs> here to discuss Minnesota State Mankato. Alex, welcome to the show. Yes, yes. Good to, good to chat and uh, good to talk about a, a trophy-winning weekend for, for the Mavericks. It just uh, keeps rolling. You know, it, it's it's a trophy that certainly, yes, it, it's good to earn the CCHA regular season championship. But no question, this team has bigger aspirations and bigger trophies uh, uh, in its uh, foreground. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that's why some of those guys came back for a fifth year, and uh, you know, they want to to raise some hardware in, in Boston and bring bring a trophy back to Mankato for sure. So let's talk about the previous weekend. Uh, and again, it feels like a broken record every time that we, we do this. But uh, uh, at home, last home series against a Bemidji State, uh, I get another sweep. Uh, so tell us what, what happened in this series. Yeah, um, just uh, both uh, both high scoring games for them. And, uh, um, you know, Dryden just continues to to save the day when when he's really needed. You know, uh, he doesn't have to make a ton of saves, but. Uh, when he's there, um, you know, it, it, it's just, just amazing. And, uh, you know, they, uh, um, they did another, uh, great, great job without Nathan Smith. Uh, you know, um, uh, Mike Hastings made it back. Um, you know, he wanted to be there for, it was senior weekend too. So, um, you know, he wanted to, to be there for, for the guys and, um, you know, the top line, uh, without Nathan Smith continued to dominate, uh, uh, you know, Kate Borchard, uh, Brendan Fury stepped in right for for Nathan Smith, and then Julian Napravnik uh, having a having a big, big week. And, um, you know, um, he said that uh, this was his first time having his parents be in Mankato. Um, you know, which which is huge because they they live over there. So, 
um, you know, yeah and and i think alex you know when we look forward to what this team has got next uh obviously uh you know we, we talk about the ccha uh, tournament coming up for the squad uh they still got to take care of business on the road one more time against michigan tech uh michigan tech no slouch of a team this year especially um i guess a, a kind of a nice test uh before we get uh, to the conference tournament yes yep yeah, yeah huge um and, uh, you know, Bemidji's always caused them issues in the past. And so, uh, yeah, um, big, big deal to, to sweep them. And, uh, um, and then, um, you got tech tech is tech is a great team. Um, and they should be in the NCAA turn too. So, um, you know, um, you know, it's good, good, uh, good couple weekends here to, to, you know, to finish season for sure. Last time that you had a loss was back on January the 14th, again, uh, at the hands of Northern Michigan, uh, a team led by Grant Patoni and his staff. Um, we've mentioned this before, Alex, and and again, it, it bears repeating, but um, for the naysayers out there, I think you, you have to address it. For those who say Mankato is winning in, in, a, in a conference that is weaker than the Big Ten, weaker than the NCHC, uh, Mankato really hasn't had a tough test yet. What do you say to those fans? Yeah, they just, you know, just keep on winning, right? Uh, that's, uh, um, you know, the you know, Al Davis quote, just just win, baby. Um, uh, from from the Raiders, um, you know, all, all you can do is win and, you know, um, and, you know, keep, keep uh, you know, scoring a ton of goals. Um, and, you know, that just brings confidence uh, uh, for the team. And uh, you got a lot of veterans that have been been there now in, in the Frozen Four, and they know what it takes to, to get back there. So, um, you know, just, just keep on winning. Is there any team out there, um, I suppose, in the CCHA, you got to get through the to- uh, the conference tournament first. Again, I yeah. think Mankato is a shoe in to make the NCAA a tournament. Yeah. That's uh, lightly said, but uh, as far as the tournament concerns, first, right? Uh, any team out there that can uh, give Mankato a little bit of a, a tough go uh, to get to uh, that uh, tournament championship? Yeah, Northern Michigan beat them uh, last uh, conference tournament uh, and beat them at uh, in Mankato for that. Um, and really, just completely smoked them. Um, so. You know that uh, Grant uh, Grant's team seems to um, you know have Mankato's number. You know they beat them earlier this uh, in the regular season two up up there in, in Northern Michigan, and so that's the one team that uh, you know um, you know has a chance to to beat the Mavs, and uh, they're out of the top sixteen right now. So you know they're going to be hungry to try to try to get that automatic uh, berth. And for Mankato, you know, I guess for the fans who are looking to keep the train rolling, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's got to be, I would think, some adversity at stake. Um, let's just say there is a slip up here in the CCHA tournament, whether it's semifinals or championship game. Uh, you know, so this team is still built to win in Boston. It's and so maybe you take one. Uh, maybe a slightly step back uh, in the tournament championship, if that means you get to a Frozen Four, would you take it? Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> um, percent. You know they at least uh, don't have to worry about you know getting a loss, and uh, you know if that were to happen, they can rest up again. And uh, you know I think even with a loss, they would probably still have a number one seed um, just with with how well they've. Uh, you know, they played and um, you know having having that one seat is just so gigantic um, but you also you also can't uh, let up at all because we've seen so many 
previous upsets of of, of seeds. So you just pedal the metal, um, you know, have everybody healthy, and uh, you know we're, we're still in COVID times too, so everybody's got to just stay safe too, and um, you know, to pray that no test positive. So um, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun couple of weeks here for sure. When we look at the pairwise uh, here, Alex, it's Minnesota State, it's Denver, uh, it's Michigan, uh, three of the top four teams. Uh, again, yeah. the only time, at least as of right now, that if those those uh, rankings hold still is uh, that means the only time you would face each other would be in the Frozen Four if the numbers play themselves out. But is there any other team outside the top four right now in the pairwise that you say, no, 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 I do not want to face this team, whether it's in a uh, a regional semifinal or regional finals or one team outside the CCS you're looking and go, if I don't have to play this team, that would be okay with me. Yeah. Minnesota or Northeastern, if they're able to get in, I really, uh, Levi, the goalie who was, um, you know, way with, with uh, team Canada in the Olympics, he's an incredible goaltender. And so, you know, any, you know, any of these teams that have a really, really good goaltender, you don't want to face them. And then, the Gophers just are playing phenomenal right now. I think uh, Bob Matsko should be the Big Ten coach of the year. Um, you know, he has had guys be continuing to be out of the lineup, uh, either through injury or at the Olympics or, you know, losing uh, my Mike Richter winner and, and Jack LaFontaine and Justin uh, Close just stepped in without a, without a beat. Um, and so the Gophers are really humming right now. And I, I really like that team. So you know, Mankato did beat them in the in the uh, tournament last year, but uh, that's the team that's really rolling on all cylinders. So um, those are those are a couple of teams that I would want to avoid. Yeah, we'll stay in state since you mentioned the yeah. Gophers. We obviously talked about this a little bit earlier in uh, the podcast today, but uh, St. Cloud State UMD. Uh, I would think right now between those two, UMD a slight favorite over St. Cloud in terms of just the paralyzed rankings. Is St. Cloud really on the hot seat right now in terms of being a, kind of in a deep bubble type situation? Yeah, they're a weird team to figure out. I've been in, of course, been in attendance uh, for quite a few of their games, and uh, you know, just they they need some of their their big guns to to step up. Uh, Easton Brodzinski's been kind of quiet, and uh, you know now they're getting Henches back. Um, but uh, yeah, they need some of their senior guys to 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 step up and, and make some plays. Um, and you know Nolan Walker's been pretty quiet. Um, you know Micah Micah Miller's been playing been playing really great hockey and and Perbix. Uh, but they need some of the uh, their older guys to to step up and uh Renick uh Renick's you know been pretty solid in, in that there um keep, keeping keeping them in it for a lot of the games and so they uh, they just need to, to score a little bit more uh you know Fanty's a pretty pretty good goalie for for UMD um you know especially you know last night um you know um, you know and so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be really close um you know the NCH is just just a beast you know and it's crazy you know I I did pick UND to win the NCHC this this season. They're they're in first right now, but they're they're dealing with a lot of uh, injuries and without their best player in Sanderson. So it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. I I think St. Cloud will be able to to stay in there, um, but yeah, it's going it'll be close. And you know, we often try to avoid talking about North Dakota on this show, but I think we almost have yeah. to because you know <laughs> they they they've kind of quietly gone under the radar as a team that. 
especially after all the the leadership and the offense they lost last season, uh, including a late signing with uh, Jesper Weatherby going to San Jose. Um, I think nobody really has given North Dakota really a, a fighting chance, but quietly they've actually been uh, pretty decent as of late, and they may be sort of that pseudo underdog which is, I don't know how many times you can say that about North Dakota, but they're kind of going under the radar, a team that has been playing okay hockey. I wouldn't say great, but you got to still watch out for the Fighting Hawks. Yeah, they uh, they continued to, to show uh, resiliency. Like I said, no Sanderson in the lineup, and uh, um, you know just their, their depth, <laughs> as, as we look to, to say in this, uh, in this town with the Wild. Um, yeah, the depth is really shown off for for UND, and uh, you know Brad Barry's one of the best coaches in the nation, and so he always has his teams uh, ready to go no matter what. Um, and yeah, they've uh, they've picked up some big wins that have really you know helped them move up in the in the pairwise, and uh, you know big weekend against uh, UMD, and uh, you know getting that win against St. Cloud too. So um, yeah, watch watch out for the Fighting Hawks. So, Alex, I think it's it's prediction time a little bit here. Um, yeah, I think there's no question the Mavericks, if they hold uh, hold Pat, which I don't think anybody is going to go against them uh, this weekend. Uh, they get the number one seed. They face St. Thomas in the quarterfinals. I think that series, uh, you hate to say it for St. Thomas, who actually have really made some significant strides as a as an organization, just simply just yeah. can't match uh, Mankato. Uh, so. Does Mankato win the, the the CCHA championship? And then if you were to guess their first opponent, and yes, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit in the NCAA tournament, any guesses who they might face first? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I think they will win the tournament. Um, and then a first-round opponent, um, you know, <laughs> It might be one of those, uh, you know, those schools. Um, you know, yeah. If uh, if BU hops in there or or Northeastern, um, you know, I think, yeah, or maybe Clarkson if they are able to beat Quinnipiac. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be one of those Eastern um, Eastern schools, and it would it would lead for a really really tough uh, tough first round matchup, but um, you know, exciting for sure. Last question, Alex. Before we uh, we get rolling here and wrap things up, but I guess for a team with, with with such great aspirations, for a team that has all the makings of a national championship team, I guess how do you keep your emotions in check? And, and I guess I, it's it's often a point I think it's is overlooked, especially this time of year. Um, especially when you have had the success like Mankato has had. And I don't think there's any doubt this team is certainly one of the favorites to reach Boston. But if you're a player under Mike Hastings, you understand the opportunity that's ahead of you. How do you keep the emotions in check, not get too high, not get too low, so that way you can stay focused on the task at hand and therefore give yourself the best chance of, of really making Minnesota hockey history down there for uh, Mankato? Yeah, they can reach back to, to last postseason. Um, you know, they they had a ton of highs and a really low, low against St. Cloud, but, uh, you know, that Quinnipiac game, uh, like they were out of it. You know, they were down a couple goals um, and, and scored late in the third period to, to tie it uh, uh, from Jake Livestone, you know, coast to coast um, and, uh, you know, and then Ryan Sam getting the overtime winner. I mean, that was just a 
huge moment in school history and in history. That first uh, NCAA win, um, and then you know the highest of highs, shutting out Minnesota, um, and you know knowing knowing that continue to go further, um, and then uh, you know in the Frozen Four losing to to St. Cloud, and so they can back on those experiences and know that they've been on um, and not get too high but not too low as well um, uh, you know, and make this run for for Boston um, you know you got, you got a senior and John McKay that you know could have signed Nate Smith could have signed and so um, these want to bring hard work yeah, so it's going to be fun to watch this team, Alex, again, as uh, at least out of the state of Minnesota, look to be uh, one of the top two teams heading into the NCAA tournament. Alex Micheletti, thank you very much for joining us. And that will do it here for episode number 20 here of, of the MNCAA podcast here. You can always follow us on Twitter at MN underscore NCAA. I'm your host, Nick Max, and we'll see you back next week as the conference tournaments are just two weeks away. Just like Judd's Buds, you can find all MNCAA episodes on the Soda Pod feed with episodes dropping every Friday. Go follow the dedicated college hockey feed on Twitter at MN underscore NCAA. MNCAA was taken by some douchebag with zero followers that won't reply to Isha with our very lucrative USD cash offer. Um, now, Isha, who's the last show that we want to promote here this week? Brave the Wild. Joey has been in the Minnesota Wild podcast game since 2008. Here's a clip from the chiseled veteran. Uh, conversation is that Marc-Andre Fleury could be headed back to <clears throat> Las Vegas. What do you think of that? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Pittsburgh Penguins, state of Hoppy. Yep, that's, that's Scott's other club. Derek says, there are levels in video games that can really frustrate you. What level do you think the Minnesota Wild are stuck in right now? For me, it would be any part of Ghosts and Goblins right now. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That game is so hard, yes. Ghosts and Goblins. Oh, my. <laughs> I want to get some sound by here going. <laughs> I, I better have it on here. I think I did. Yes, I do. Uh, I want to go to this one. Nope, not that one. Not that one. That one. It's too loud. That's when things are really rough. The last two levels. Impossible. You get this far in this game, you're a video gaming legend. You're, you're, you're Pat, yeah, I never know. You're Gretzky. Like, you're literally Gretzky when you level. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that would be the, that would be game seven, game six of the cup final against, you know, Florida or something. But, uh, obviously right now, yeah, I mean, it could be any parts of Ghosts and Goblins because, it's like that, where it just gets stupidly hard and things are just not working out. Brian, let me think of, like, uh, how about level 7? All of level 7 in Mario 1. That's really tough. And, of course, the final dungeon, level 7-4, where you don't know where the heck you're going forever without a player's guide. And it kind of feels that way with a wild at times. So I'll go with level 7-4, Super Mario Brothers, where you can get freaking lost. 8-4 uh, is a maze, but it's but it's beatable. 8... <laughs> 8... Or, excuse me, 7-4? It's... Level seven is harder than eight, I think, in Mario. It is partially because people don't play it as much. Where eight, it's the final level, and you practice it like crazy. Okay, yes, and that game is from way back in the good old days. Obviously, as is Ghosts and Goblins. Ghosts and Goblins is 86. Super Mario is 85. Derek Felska says, The Iowa Wild have, yes, they have. I've also been struggling through a slump, kind of like the Minnesota Wild. 
what sort of cloud is hanging over this organization? Is it the uncertainty uh, the trade deadline brings, or is it something else? I don't know. It's like it's almost like things kind of coming back to the the average. How do they say that word? Uh, damn it! I, I, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like things kind of coming back to the middle again. Where Iowa looked so spectacular at the start of the season, now they they can't score. Worth crap. Uh, whereas like the Heartlanders, it was like everything was bad in the Iowa Heartlanders. The other Iowa team, there was like nothing good about that team, and poor uh, Hunter Jones was struggling. I wouldn't be surprised if there's trade trade. Like you guys are nervous about trades, but I suppose that could be everybody throughout the league, every uh, AHL team, that kind of thing. I'm honestly not sure if it. It's just you know and. He, <laughs> You can't cry fatigue yet. We're certainly not that far into this, you know, busy stretch. I mean, I mean, we just started. Where Iowa, and I think this can go for any team, though. The uncertainty of call up, call call up, and up and down, up and down. I mean, AHL must be just stressful beyond belief for teams because um, guys are up and down. And I do think Matthew Boldy not being there anymore doesn't help, obviously, because he was dominating in the AHL when he was healthy. Uh, Matt Boldy. So it's stuff like that, I suppose. Um, and certain players like Damien Giroux just not not having a good season, period. It's stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and then Swainy and Hicketts had their red-hot start, and they aren't doing jack anymore. So it's one thing leads to another in that sense, where there's just no freaking offense in Iowa. Minnesota, it's, it's I don't know if we're getting kind of, we were getting a little too happy with ourselves at times, thinking, oh, yeah, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll come back and we'll win. We'll get the extra extra skater, and we'll kick some ass, and then it just hasn't been working out. That's kind of what I can think of right now. Uh, Derek says, TNC's Anson Carter drew a lot of ire for Minnesota Wild fans for his comments about the team lacking depth, yet the Wild found a way to look like pure crap, but we're only missing number 36 and number 34 against Zuccarello and Dumba, of course. Is that criticism? Does that, is that criticism, is it more warranted right now? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, let's see if the, oh yeah, and this is the guy that, uh, this is the guy that got on somebody's nerve a little bit i'll just leave it at that i'll read it i hope i don't or i hope i don't annoy derek right now uh into the wild says not at all this wasn't a depth loss this was a team that just didn't show up that just just didn't show up loss overturned pucks like crazy bad angled shots no hustle let ottawa in the dangerous zones etc derek says shrugs is that a sign of lack of depth what i mean were players where players struggle to adapt to changes in the lineup well, there were changes. There were. See, I mean, <laughs> you know, guy, you know, certain guys like Zuccarello not being there. It's like, uh oh, Kaprizov, no points. Funny, you know. So that's the one thing. Sometimes you need that other guy. That actually is kind of scary when you think about that. As I try not to cough to that. So good point, Derek. Let's see how he. Uh, if this was isolated to tonight's average against Ottawa, I wouldn't be asking the question, which wasn't directed at you, by the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not a sign of lack of depth. Wild went 9-0-1 or about that when they had almost a regular season. Tumbo was out of his game. And they won. So isn't all their depth. Yep, it said it's a trend that's developing. Tonight's ever was similar. Where we saw against the Chats, bad penalties, lack of focus. Yep, I mean, okay. Yeah, it's an interesting back and forth there. Um, interesting, interesting back and forth. And of course, it's like uh, we all kind of make our own decisions on that. But we're not that deep. Obviously, we're not that deep if, if, if uh, Freddie Goudreau is like one of your main players. So that's kind of my way to look at it. And, <laughs> yeah, like Dumba being out, the defense, I, I don't think we are that deep, no. We're, we're deep in certain areas. 
And we're fortunate to have a nice grapevine, but a lot of those guys aren't ready yet. So, yeah, that's kind of where I lean on that one. Yep. Get your questions in every week by following at Brave the Wild and listen by searching Brave the Wild Minnesota Wild Podcast. All right. Thanks to everybody tuning in on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I mean, wherever you get your podcasts from, the best thing you can do for us or any of of the content that you heard in this podcast episode, uh, you can go on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, give us and give them five stars and a kind review. It goes such a long way. You're already supporting us by listening to this episode, so you might as well go and review us as well. If you're Jones for more hockey content, go listen through our website, thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. And on your app, please download the episode before you listen, as it just helps all of our business. You can follow myself at VI Sports Talk. You can follow Hoppy at State of Hoppy. And of course, you can find the Soda Pod on all platforms at the Soda Pod. Signing off, I'm Isha Dromi alongside the State of Hoppy. This has been the Soda Pod, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. We good, buddy? We good. Don't fear, just drink some beer and stay wild.